When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. This 57-yard try would be a Rams postseason record if it's good and would send Los Angeles to Super Bowl 53. That snap. The kick is good. Rams win it. All kinds of time for Brady to go for it. To the end zone, and it's caught for the touchdown. Philip Dorsett. Are you guys like me? And like I'm just, you used to have to peel me off the ceiling still after watching that kind of football yesterday for seven hours. Well, the couch. But yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just peel you off the couch. Is it like a faux leather couch or no, I'm living in an Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> what type of couch was it exactly? No leather couch. 1970s. Uh that was fantastic. As a as a sports fan, that instantly becomes not, not involving teams from here a top 5 day. That's a top 5 just sports yeah. fan day. Well, if you if you include even the teams that are from here, it's not like there's that many great positive moments. Unfortunately, like, true. Would, like go above it on the list. <laughs> but, I, but, you know? but I don't think you're going to, to forget that day for a long time. Yeah. Like that, you, that was, that was two games and both started and you said to yourself, these are going to be blowouts. What's going on here? And then they, they not only weren't, but the amount of storylines from both games were fantastic. I well, never felt, I never really thought it was going to be a blowout. Even at halftime of those games, I was going, really? Yeah. The, okay. a, a, the offense, the, the teams themselves are too good, but especially the offenses are too good for me to think that two scores or even 17 points is enough for me to, to think that this thing is over and it's going to be a blowout. I, See, I, I had a feeling it was going to turn into what it turned into. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it did because it turned Obviously. into the, like the fourth time in NFL history that the road teams both won. And for road teams to win, you're usually playing in some raucous environment, so it's just this monumental task. The two things that struck me right away from sort of a Vikings fan perspective where, number one, it helps to have awesome clutch kickers. Just something, something that, just that too. you never get around here. 57 <laughs> yards. Oh, he made it. Wow. It didn't go wide yeah. left. It didn't wow. go wide right. He made it from, it would have been good from 77. And, yeah. and Rami, who has been a Bears fan throughout mm-hmm. his life, yeah. experienced wide left this year. It wasn't even wide left. It would have. It would have felt. I think it would have been easier to take if it was wide left. It was hitting the post again. Yeah, that that killed me. Yeah, doink doink. Right, right. Hit yeah. it twice. And then the other the other takeaway from sort of a Vikings fan perspective was, it didn't occur to me until waking up this morning and scrolling through Twitter and seeing just some of the sad fan reactions, especially from Kansas City. I follow some Kansas City sports radio people and. Just seeing how sad and tormented they are, and then it, it, so it, it took like twelve hours to occur to me that oh yeah, that's right, yeah, fan bases probably have who aren't used to this on a regular basis feel like their life is over this morning. But if you're a Vikings fan, you're watching that yesterday, <laughs> and you've got you know you've got walls built up. You're watching that yesterday, and you're thinking yeah, well, pretty standard sip of coffee. Chiefs fans <laughs> no pain though, right? Chiefs fans do. They don't oh, know Vi- yeah. they don't know Vikings well, pain. Well, okay, but ours is exceptional. But I think Chiefs fans know. They, they know pain, but where where I will say, if you're a uh, Chiefs fan, there's huge hope is you've still got that quarterback. Oh, my like, God. Like, I'm convinced this guy's going to be just fine and go back. Yeah, somebody, somebody I, was, I was tweeting about that because Andy Reid seemed very, very at peace with the result after the game. Just for such, 
for a guy who's been so close so many times and he's been in championship games and lost a Super Bowl and he's the greatest coach for my money that's never won a Super Bowl. And his answers to questions in the post game were very he had this kind of smirk on his face like like he knew he was going to be back in that situation playing in Super Bowls because of Pat Mahomes. And I sort of tweeted out that vibe and immediately get 15 or 20 responses. Whoa, you can't you know, Derek Carr was once. No, 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 no. This no. ain't Derek Carr. No, no. Pat Mahomes is. <laughs> Pat Mahomes. You know, I'll go so far as saying people are comparing Pat Mahomes to Brett Favre. He's gunslinger. Brett Favre wasn't this good. His first. No. Well, nobody's been this good. No. Their first. No. He reminds. Year he league. reminds me more of Rodgers than he does Favre. Because he doesn't throw twenty interceptions. That yeah, that helps a little bit too. But just the all the different arm angles that he can throw from the 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 accuracy and the precision that he can that he throws with, and just being able to do things that it, other quarterbacks can't do, and he makes it look easy. Like the the no look passes. The he just does crazy stuff back there and makes it look like it's like it's just routine for him that other quarterbacks simply cannot do. This ain't no Derek Carr. Whoever said that, I hope you immediately delete block your account. Them. Yeah, <laughs> Marino would would be as close if you if you wanted to say that Mahomes was not going to go back to a championship game or go down that path. You might say. Marino, but I don't think so. But I think this guy's going back. I think he's people, fine. People cite Dan Marino as, well, there's no guarantees in yeah. football. Look at Dan Marino. But I would argue Dan Marino is really the lone exception. Every other quarterback that has ever risen to that level has a ring or at least had multiple shots at it. Brett Favre has a ring. Aaron Rodgers has a ring. Drew Brees has a ring. Tom Brady has a handful of rings. Peyton Manning, right? Dan Marino, John Elway, rings. Uh, Dan Marino is about the only guy. And yes, by the way, I am putting Pat Mahomes in the category of these guys. I know after one year it sounds crazy, but watch him play. Watch him Watch him lead. Watch the way that he speaks. Yeah, This is not a fluke at all. Real. And you saw yesterday the old guard in the AFC stiff-arming the new guard, maybe for one more year. I'm not sure how much longer Brady and Belichick are going to do this thing together. But last, last night really did feel like the last hurrah for the Patriots against a team like that. Uh, don't say that. Yeah, please. Every, I don't know, Every man. time we say that. Brady's kind of breaking down a little bit. I, I agree we, with what Rami said earlier on Purple Daily today. Tom Brady was great on the final drive, but my God, earlier in the game. He wasn't that great. For most of that game, Tom Brady really wasn't that great. Yeah. When he needed to be, he was classic Tom Brady. I'm not but. going all Skip Bayless on you and saying Tom Brady isn't even a good quarterback. Like That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. The fourth quarter, he was pretty damn good. Yeah, when he needed to be amazing, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yes, that when, was pretty doggone good. When it was time to be Tom Brady, he was he was Tom Brady. But most of, I mean, most of that game, I would if if I was ranking who won that game for the Patriots, it would be their defense first to do what they did to Patrick Mahomes for half that game and completely shut out that Chiefs offense, and then the running backs for the Patriots, and then Tom Brady. Play calling too. Play calling was really damn good. Play calling because the guy who had the best day of anybody. Sunday, Tony Romo. That was one of the he. That was, and as a guy who covered the TV beat at the Star Tribune for sports for a long time, that was the best big game call that I've ever heard. Well, we okay. So we were going to get into that in the in the five o'clock segment, but since you just dove into it, we have <laughs> some Tony Romo highlights from the fourth quarter. And I was going through this morning, Awful Announcing had compiled a video. It was just four or five different times in the fourth quarter or overtime where Tony Romo casually does. Kansas City's owned this so far in this game. They've got to go back to the Brady sneak or something, don't they? Oh, they're killing it. Usually means a motion and a run out wide to the right. Here's the handoff and to the end zone. The Sony Michelle and the Patriots are back in front. Poor man, that's amazing. He was just doing that like the entire fourth quarter and in and into overtime. It was every play. He was it was like he was in the huddle. I gotta put Gronkowski out wide. They've gotta get him. He's your guy when it's one on one. They've got they finally got him. There he is. At the top of the screen. If he's doubled, you're gonna throw inside right here to Edelman. You just look up there and pick him. Here they come after Brady. He goes down the field to Gronk. Turns around, makes the catch. He saw what you saw, Tony. It was incredible. After Tony saw it. It was incredible. It was amazing. Some of us knew Tony Romo was like this when he played and appreciated him fully for how great he was. Some of you guys who ragged on him for 10 bleeping years. So what we know now is he was this smart 
And, yes, he's one of the and, greatest wait, quarterbacks of this wait, generation. But what, what? what we know now is he was this smart, but he was a tick off of actually executing this. No, he wasn't. He was Brady no, he wasn't. without as much talent. That is not true. He was no, That's how he could tell well, you. He's not, I'm, I'm not going to put him in the Brady sentence, but Tony... Okay, hold on. Let's play one more of these. Not, <laughs> let, me, let me fight on behalf of Tony Romo. Come at me, bro. Third and nine, Tony. Well, they got to block the front. If Gronk's not outside, you got to chip with him, chip with him, and throw to Edelman over the middle of the field. Pass down the middle. Caught. Edelman holds on. Ball at the Chiefs 30. Gronk is out wide. Watch the top of your screen. Watch this safety. If he comes down, there's a good chance he's throwing out there. It's Gronk for the first down. <laughs> Gronk cut inside. On the slant and gets it down to the 15. Got okay. halfway Here's home. what people failed to realize about Tony Romo in his, what, 10 years as Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Mm-hmm. He never had the coach of a top quarterback. He never had the defense, never had the weapons in a lot of cases. Des Bryant was had a couple good good seasons. Tony Romo has the fifth highest passer rating in the history of the NFL. He also has, before retiring, I don't know what it's at the last two years, but before he retired, the best fourth quarter passer rating in the history of the NFL. And people dogged him because he like fumbled a snap one time in a playoff game as a holder. <laughs> and because two or three times on national TV, he threw interceptions. There was a game where he was going toe to toe with Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning's record season where he threw for 55 touchdowns and Tony Romo and the Cowboys against the Broncos and Peyton Manning. It was like 48 to 42 back and forth game. Mm-hmm. And, Tony Romo throws an interception in the fourth quarter on national TV and like couldn't get the ninth touchdown for the Dallas Cowboys. And people rag on him for the three moments on national TV that he screwed up. I do think he... He's been this way his whole life. I do think he takes some undue criticism and, and is probably a little bit underrated when you talk about quarterbacks of his time. But he did seem to make... It wasn't just the fumble on the kickoff. And, and not, I... I'm not one to be able to cite a date and time in particular games. Because it's fake news, where, Tommy. To, where Tony Romo made a big mistake in a big spot. But he seemed to make mistakes at the most inopportune times. And he had plenty of talent to play with. Yeah, he had Des Bryant. He also had Jason Witten, who is one of the best tight ends to ever play the game. He had Terrell Owens at the height of his powers they for had a, a run few game years one there. Time. They had a running game he, there. He is a Hall of Fame. Announcer, no question about it. <laughs> he is a ha- first ballot Hall of Fame analyst. All I'm saying is some of us saw this oh, in Tony Romo to, long I'm ago. I'm trying to credit him. This is, <laughs> this is the best big game announcing job I think I have ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> is that your best? <laughs> Fight me. Come at me. I'm a big Come Romo fan in the booth. Yeah. yeah Love he, him in the booth. But he just, like, he adds... It's amazing because he adds John Madden-level excitement and giddiness about football. When John Madden, for all those years, would just be geeking out about Brett Favre, and Brett Favre just loves the game. Tony Romo brings you that fanboy geek factor, but then he brings you the Chris Collinsworth attention to detail Mm -hmm. and is better at it. Chris Collinsworth has been unmatched in terms of just attention to detail and being able to tell you what's happening and why it's happening. And Romo gives you that at its peak level and also gives you excitement at its peak level. And it makes it super fun to watch a game in which you'd have fun watching it on mute. But Tony Romo brings it to absolutely new heights for sure. And he does it in a way that's that's understandable and digestible for the average football fan sitting at home on their couch. Sometimes when these guys get into detail and, and get into game plans and audibles and like you heard him saying right there, if the safety is covering inside, he's going to throw to Gronk down the sideline. He, he he gives it to you in a way that's digestible for the average football fan. It's not it's not inside football talk that the average guy sitting at home watching the game wouldn't necessarily get. He does it in a way that we all get it. Yeah. And it's fun too because you always get the feeling that Nance is like, hey, you know, Tony, calm down. No, Jim, this is the greatest game. Of- <laughs> so it's more fun because Jim's like, you know, hush tones, Tony, inside voice, and Tony's just goes crazy, but he's great. Yeah. Yeah, you, Judd, you posed the question just off the air a few hours ago. Is this, I don't even know how to quantify this because I'd have to think so specifically about other examples, but is that the best color commentary performance in a big game? Right, like that a we Super can Bowl or a conference title game. Yeah. Where someone stands out for the right reasons and adds layers to something that you're already excited watching. And if the play-by-play guy left, you wouldn't care. Yeah, if Nance had said, Tony, I'm yeah. sick of this BS, I'm done, I would have been like, okay, cool. I think Nance was digging it. I think we, we just assume that Nance doesn't want to be stepped on, but I think I think Nance is kind of loving it now. 
He's got this psychic in the booth with him. I felt like he was as amused by it yesterday as we were. Like, as he was calling it, you could hear the surprise in his voice. Like, Tony's right again. Yeah. There, that's Gronk <laughs> down the sideline. Wow. Right. This is something. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any any other examples of, of like, oh, that man, I remember that game. It was awesome. And can you believe the color commentator? <laughs> right. He right. called the last 50 pitches of that uh, game seven. Like a basketball right? or baseball? I can't think of one. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, there have been good ones before. But to actually have a team go down the field and have the guy essentially accurately predict the entire drive? The other thing Romo is a genius at, and, it, and this did show up when he was a quarterback in Dallas, too. He was always good at clock management as a quarterback. He always knew when to call timeouts, when to spike, how to organize. And he was giving us a glimpse into just the tactical clock management strategy that a great quarterback should have when he's telling you, okay, they have three timeouts left. You don't need to call one until there's under a minute. And then you burn yeah, your first right. one. And then, okay, now there's 30 seconds left, and you've got one timeout left, or 25 seconds left, whatever it is, and he's telling you, if you don't have a pass that chunks at least 10 yards, don't throw don't throw a completion. Just throw it away. So if, if the choice is between with 25 seconds left and you don't want to have to burn your timeout on a check down that takes 10 seconds to go three yards, you want to make sure that you just throw the ball away and preserve the timeout. And so many quarterbacks make that mistake. So many quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins makes that mistake say, like, all the time. Like who? Where it's like, okay, dude, you've got 25 <laughs> seconds left. There's no timeouts. And you just do a four-yard check down and you need 30 yards. What are you doing? Yeah, Throw teams, the ball away. Teams are hiring coaches. Literally hiring coaches to to do what you just described Tony Romo doing during the game as a color commentator yesterday. Yeah. To, to manage the clock and manage the game and tell a coach when is the most optimal time to use a timeout. Cousins never screws up. I have no, no idea never, what you're talking never. about. He's no. great with the clock. <laughs> hey, Kirk, you might want to spike it now. Wait, now. <laughs> yeah, no. I got to put Gronkowski out wide. They've got to get him. He's your guy when it's one-on-one. They've got, they finally got him. There he is. At the top of the screen. If he's doubled, you're going to throw inside right here to Edelman. You just look up there and pick him. Here they come after Brady. Goes down the field to Gronk. Turns around, makes the catch. He saw what you saw, Tony. Oh, good. There's so many layers of this of this onion to peel. What do you guys want to dive into next year? What's what's uh, what's left over from Purple Daily that we can we can dive into next year? I mean, I think there is still more meat on the bone when it comes to that pass interference call. There's, there's so that. So awful. And Vikings fans, I, I actually have come <laughs> to the conclusion today that Vikings fans hate the Saints more than the Packers. That's a double tease right there. 651-646-8255. If you want to chime in, it's Score North on 1500. Mackie and Jeb with Rami from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Breeze. Passes incomplete. No flag for Tommy Lee Lewis. Crowd's going crazy as there's no flag right on the Saints sideline. Well, if Mikel Roby Coleman plays the ball, it's an interception. It's probably going the other way with it. I mean, the ball's on the other side of Roby Coleman, and but that should have been a penalty. Buck and Aikman with the call on the NFL on Fox. This is Mackie and Judd with Rami on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. You want to get in on the conversation, 651-646-8255 or tweet at score north just an awful awful call i was i was watching it in the sports bar yesterday where the entire bar was rooting for the uh the uh, new orleans saints to Wait, or excuse, we're rooting for the um the rams the rams okay. to win that game and saw that play and lost their minds almost as much as they did during the uh, Chiefs and, and Patriots game, where one guy in the bar was a Patriots fan oh <laughs> against, <my God. laughs> against the entire bar. Good that, for that guy, by the way. That was fun Living to watch. But every, I mean, everybody was upset over that call until I went to Twitter and I told Judd this today on Purple Daily. I forgot, or I guess it just didn't occur to me. <laughs> The the bad blood between Vikings and Saints and and Vikings fans towards the Saints organization until I went I got home after the uh, after the visit to the bar and checked Twitter and saw some of our some of our listeners some of the people I started following when I came here to Minneapolis taking the utmost of joy in the Saints misfortunes and that awful awful call but man that is just a black eye on the NFL I don't care how much you hate the Saints a call like that in a game that important. Is a black eye for the NFL, in my opinion. Well, on the Vikings fan front, real quick, I just pulled up Judd's article that was tweeted out. Just the, the link to Judd's uh, column from this morning at Score North on Twitter, S K O R North. 
Zolgad, will Vikings fans ever stop taking joy in Saints pain? And I'm going through the at replies to this, and it's hilarious. <laughs> like, it's just, it's Viking fan after Viking fan just gloating and, and thumping our chests. And I thought, I honestly thought the Minneapolis miracle kind of put an end to the, it was the we got you back right. moment. Yeah. We got you back clean now we're moment. Even. Yeah. And it's not enough to be even. No, no, no. And I don't even fault Vikings fans for this. It's not enough to be even. We must watch you suffer year after year at the hands of miracles and blown calls and hopefully wide left missed field goals at some point, too. It's one guy, though, Sean Payton. If you recall when the Saints thought that they were going to beat the Vikings last year in that playoff game, Payton started doing the mocking the skull clap. And that's, that's it right. was caught that's by right. somebody on oh, their phone and got that. tweeted out. Sean Payton is a horse's behind, too. <laughs> so I'm going to say this. I feel bad for the Saints players and Breeze, and they definitely got screwed. But when it comes to Payton, I feel no sympathy at all because he is a horse's ass. And the Saints are not, are not going to take this laying down. Uh, team owner Gail Benson put out this statement just a little while ago said, yesterday's result is still difficult to accept for all of us. I am thoroughly disappointed by the events that led to the outcome of yesterday's game. Getting to the Super Bowl is incredibly difficult to do and takes such an unbelievable commitment for a team and support from its fans. No team should ever be denied the opportunity to reach the title game or simply win a game based on the actions or inactions of those charged with creating a fair and equitable playing field. As is clear to all who watch the game, it is undeniable that our team and fans were unfairly deprived of that opportunity yesterday. I have been in touch with the NFL regarding yesterday's events and will aggressively pursue changes in the NFL policies to ensure no team and fan base is ever put in a similar position again. It is a disservice to our coaches, players, employees, and most importantly, the fans who make our game possible. The NFL must always commit to providing the most basic of expectations, fairness, and integrity to which Vikings fans say, <laughs> "Yeah, hold on a second here. Let's back up, Mrs. Benson. Your team in a NFC title game. So the same game as yesterday. Yep. Your team had a bounty system in place, which did not cost that team the game necessarily, but still is as egregious as you could possibly get. You can't pay your employees to try and hurt employees on the opposing side. And you're telling me that life's not fair now? Well, See, that's why I, str- I struggle with this. Don't, I get it. You got screwed too bad. But this whole high and mighty now, well, we've been undu- unduly punished. Okay. You know, too bad. Yeah, how long do the Saints deserve to be punished by the football gods? How long does karma need to continue to... Until the Vikings have a Super Bowl. Wow, that they could that, be, they could be, they could be getting punched in the face for a long time. <laughs> or, Sean, or at least Sean Payton's gone. <laughs> well, let's let's go back because I, I mean I'm list, I was listening to that Crimea River quote from from uh, Mrs. Miss Miss Benson, right? Mm-hmm. And Vikings fans would tell you at every turn of a sentence, okay. Well, all the highlights they were showing of that 2009 NFC Championship game, and they sprinkled in quite a few. If you were a Vikings fan, it was pretty tough to not notice that. There was a play in which, so forget about you know the fact that they were illegally paying players to, to take out the quarterback. Let's just look at the parameters of the game as it was called in 2009, okay? Because I saw Royce chirping at you on Twitter last night saying, or was chirping to, I don't know, if it was a, I think it was in a reply to you, yeah. Judd. It was but it was like, you know, dear Viking, you know, dear purple heads. Yes. Uh, the Saints did nothing illegal in that game in 2009. The Vikings blew the game, et cetera. And I would contest, and I'm not just being a blind purple homer. I think people listening, who've listened enough know I'm not just a blind purple homer here, okay? Brett Favre hands off at one point, limps his way out to the right, like four steps, and just gets trucked by a defensive end coming around looking to get $20,000 from Greg Williams, right? That's an illegal hit, and I get that the game wasn't policed nearly as tightly in 2009 with quarterbacks as it is this year, where Clay Matthews is just sure. making standard tackles and getting dinged for fines and for 15-yarders. But like, there were three or four hits in that game on Brett Favre that even, even with the rules at that time were illegal, and they were just blown calls. The blown call on Ben Lieber pass interference that sets up the game winning field goal. Yeah, it was a bad call. So yeah, I mean it's not just it's not just being bitter. I think I think there's a reason why Vikings fans hear quotes like that and watch that game yesterday and think, well, sorry, I mean, 
we should have won a Super Bowl in 2009, and officiating took that away. And for Peyton, though, to this whole, uh, you know, we've been wronged. This is this is not what this game is about. His his sanctimonious now act is really BS. If if he had said, you know what, we we got screwed. You get screwed. Too bad. We've done it to teams ourselves. I'd be fine. That's a very introspective way to look at it. Within right, right, minutes but, after the game's over, but but, yeah. but he's got but he's got a Super Bowl. He is he will do or has previously done whatever it need it takes to win, and that's fine. But then don't come back and be like, well, but now it's not fair. But that's what he has to do. I agree with, but it, on that. but it rubs I'm me. The, gonna... But I'm saying it rubs me the wrong way. We would all I be get it. similarly it upset way. in that situation if we were shopping. We would be, but but he to me is a guy who should just be just shut up, Sean. Just shut up. <laughs> it's a, how about we just summarize your take on this as you hate Sean Payton? I do. Too. Okay. No, it's totally personal. <laughs> it, it's totally. I feel bad for the Saints fans, the Saints players, Drew Brees, but Sean Payton deserves everything bad that happens to that man on a football field. He deserves. Remember the other day when I we can't were doing stand our him. list of people and teams that we hate in sports and Judd held up a blank piece of paper and said, I hate nobody. Oh, no, but this is personal. Because I'm a grown man. No, but this is personal. Grown men don't hate people no, in no, professional I don't, sports. I don't hate people who are... I'm a grown man. I'm 40. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's a great... That, that guy's great. No, I don't hate teams based on the teams or their success, but I've covered Peyton. He deserves it. You don't hate teams, you hate people. Yes, but this is entirely personal. Is it personal for him too? Do you guys have a run in at some No, point? no, no. He's just he's just a complete jerk. He's just a complete <laughs> jerk. As far as things, there aren't enough things that can go wrong for, for him on the field to make me satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> so I so yesterday watching him scream and yell and stomp his feet made me really happy. So you bring up Drew Brees too as someone that you do feel bad for. Yeah, I like Drew Brees. I feel bad for Drew Brees and what happened with Drew Brees yesterday and what what happened after he brought. The Saints back at U.S. Bank Stadium, they should have won that game, and the Vikings kapow over the head with Stefan Diggs 60 yards. Drew Brees is a great illustration of how luck plays into legacy and how things out of your control can play into legacy. So Tom Brady, for instance, gets a super lucky call in the snow at Foxborough in 2001 to, to spark a dynasty, right? Where that could have gone either way, probably shouldn't have gone anywhere near Patriots hanging onto that football and kicking a field goal. And then Tom Brady gets lined up with coaches and Randy Moss and, you know, just like he's great himself too. But Drew Brees does everything he needs to come back on the road last year in the playoffs against the Vikings. Idiot safety olays a tackle and allows Stefan Diggs to run free for 60 yards, right? Yesterday, idiot referee misses a blatant, not only a blatant pass interference, a blatant helmet to helmet 15 yard penalty. And if that penalty is called, Drew Brees goes to the... Now, you can't guarantee that Drew Brees would have won the ensuing games to to get to his second and third rings, but it, it just kind of shows you that people are going to be judging Drew Brees when it's all said and done. He has, one, he has one Super Bowl, Peyton Manning has two, therefore Peyton Manning's ahead of Drew Brees. Okay, well, let's look at the context of how Drew Brees came up short, because it wasn't his fault the last two years, I would Although, contend. what was that pass? The pass at the end was awful. Well, I will he, say that. I mean, the to, interception? Yes. I mean, he had a defender in his chest as he was making that throw. It's not, it's, I understand why the pass was bad. I just think at that point, instead of trying to make something happen, yes. you eat that and take that sack. It was very Brett Favre like. That, that throw, that attempt, just mm-hmm. to make that attempt by Drew Brees and to try and make something happen there rather than live to fight another day, that was, that was Brett. That was very, very Brett Favre. That was the epitome of Brett Favre's game. I almost think sometimes because he turned forty. Drew Brees turned forty like five days ago. Yeah, and Brett Favre turned forty that same season against the Saints. I almost feel like in those moments, Tom Brady threw a. He had a tipped interception. He also had a bad interception. You, I almost feel like in those games you start to realize. I know that I think I'm going to play forever, but I don't know. Like I'm here and it's close, and I'm forty. I'm going to do a little oh, something what the extra, heck, right? right? Oh, yeah. what the heck? I'll just throw it up in here and see what happens. This might be my last hurrah to make something happen in a game like this. And right. Where I, interception. I, I wouldn't have made this throw two years ago, but man, I'm running out of chances. <laughs> right. I'm going to try and squeeze this thing in there. Uh, 651-646-8255. Pete in Minneapolis. You're on with Mackie and Judd and Rami. Hey, guys. I love the uh, dialogue. Um, you know, I I don't know if you guys read Sue, uh, Jim Suhan's article in The Strip this morning, but, you know, 
they're complaining about the horrible call, and it was horrible. But the fact is, is that, you know, they had it inside the 10 and decided to pass on first down with less than two minutes. The Rams are down to two timeouts instead of running plays, making that clock wind down to where the Rams wouldn't have enough time. Not to mention, he missed Michael Thomas in the end zone, wide open, breeze dead, bad pass. Not to mention uh, the genius Sean Payton puts in that backup quarterback when they're on the five-yard line, not once but twice. You know, to show everybody how smart he is when Breeze had taken him down the field, you know. So what I'm saying is everybody can point to that call as what cost him the game. But the reality is, as within any game, even that Vikings horrible loss to New Orleans that I hated in 2009, the, you know, the referees didn't make the Vikings fumble five times. The referees didn't make them have 12 men in the huddle coming off a timeout. You know, there were a lot of there's a lot of things during the game that cost a team a game besides what the referees do. Okay. It's just convenient that these teams that lose love to point to the one call the referee blew cost us, and it's just so irrig you know terrible you know. And uh, I do love Romo. I think he's great. Phil Sims was okay, but his, there was just something about his. Voice. No, he wasn't. Irritated. Phil Sims was awful. Phil Sims was absolutely <laughs> terrible. I'm saying he was okay, but his, yeah. voice, his voice is grated on me for some reason. It just made me. It's like Dick Vitale knows his stuff, but I can't stand listening to him. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> makes me ill. Like, I, I, seriously, if Vitale's doing a game that I want to watch, I have to turn the sound out. <laughs> I, I just cannot stand him. And there's only a few people like that I can say that about. Most of them are, are just fine, you know? Yeah. Hey, Pete, thanks for the phone no, call. Phil Sims was terrible, guys. I couldn't listen to Chris Berman do the home run derby anymore. I was so yeah, glad when he was done. Yeah, you didn't. Come on, you don't like that? No. Oh, boy. But I took issue with a lot of Sean Payton's play calls yesterday, and the biggest blunder that he had was calling a pass play on the first play after the two-minute warning, and the incompletion essentially gave the Rams an extra 35, 40 seconds and a chance to to take that game into overtime. That was his biggest blunder of the day. And I saw a lot of people giving him crap uh, about Taysom Hill coming in near the goal line or or in, in in third and short situations. And Troy Aikman, I think he just hates Taysom Hill. Every time Taysom Hill ran out onto the field, Troy Aikman was questioning why Taysom Hill was out there and he would take the ball out of Drew Brees' hands. Taysom Hill is is a he's really athletic and a very talented football player that Sean Payton has found a way to use and to use effectively, and he's done that with him all year. That's part of the reason why the Saints were even playing in that football game yesterday was because of some of that creativity that Sean Payton shows in in things like using Taysom Hill in those situations. I didn't have a problem with that. Payton got cute, right? He he is going against McVay. I think. There were definite time periods, including towards the end there, where he got too cute. Now, as far as the Saints being screwed, and he, the caller's right. The Saints screwed up, all right? The Vikings in 2009 did. The Saints did on Sunday. However, that does not excuse the fact that the league made a mockery of that game by missing on the same play not one but two calls. So I don't think you. I don't think that these conversations are, well, the Saints had taken care of themselves and had won that game. You still had on one play, you still had two blatant calls that, that were missed. And if the PI got missed, all right, too bad. That's a bad call, but it's helmet to helmet and it's right there. So I don't think that you can say that the league is off the hook because the Saints didn't do what the Saints should have done because in the course of one play, in real time on TV, we all saw that. Yeah, it was definitely one it wasn't of those. Close. Yeah, it was definitely one of those. Oh, I need to see that again to make sure that it wasn't that obviously pass interference, right? And <laughs> it then was you so saw, obvious, <laughs> and you saw the replay, and you're thinking, oh god, he's running someone's... across the field and just takes him out. Yes, like he and didn't he, try and break up the play. And I believe he later admitted he did such right. Oh, I thought it was going to be a touchdown, therefore I he, trucked him. He was on Kamara, and he realized at the last second that that the receiver he took out was unguarded. So he wasn't trying like to break up the the pass play as the defender covering that guy. He just thought, bleep it, I'll take the guy out. Yeah, I, he, I'll say this too about just the caller's point that hey, there's all kinds of other things that happen in a football game, and you know we we put too much emphasis to just to sum up his point. We put too much emphasis on the thing that happens last and ignore the thing that might have happened two plays earlier or a quarter earlier. And I disagree with that a little bit because if you you have to account for things happening in a football game that could be called either way. There's all kinds of different opportunities to call pass interference throughout games and like ticky tack things holding here. Um, sometimes guys are kind of lined up in the neutral zone and it could be called. Sometimes it's not. There's 
a certain percentage of plays that are just you're just sort of at the the mercy of whether a ref wants to call it or not, right? This play with that little time left on the clock and just how egregious it was goes way beyond the category of uh, players make some mistakes sometimes and there's like ticky-tack fouls that you could or couldn't call. This was one of those gimme calls yep. that doesn't get called, right? It's it, it, To me, it's like if a guy has an interception to end the game, bounce off the numbers and, well, but there's all these other plays, right, but that's a gimme play. That's a gimme play. That's not just a, oh, that was would have been a tough play to convert. That's a gimme call. And in that's a key two moment. things. And that's two two things that were were emphasized and called all year long. Mm-hmm. If it just for a baseball comparison too, there's all kinds of close ball and strike calls. And if it's kind of on the edge, okay, well that's a coin flip. You got to know that that's a coin flip, and so you should probably be swinging that spot. And we could debate whether it was a strike or a ball. But if I beat the throw to first base by two and a half steps, and what was the what was the in the eighties in nineteen eighty four the the yeah, Don Denker, Cardinals right? and Royals, yeah. You know your favorite team, Rami, the Cardinals. That's different. That's a different. That's not a bang bang play that you got wrong. That's a step and a half yes. gimme play that swayed the entire that we could all game. see was called wrong. Right. So that was my feeling. Yeah, I think whenever you have a play that's definitively decisive or could have definitively decided a game, and like you said, with that little time left on the clock, it's a little bit different than your average blown call where you go, well, plenty of opportunities before and afterwards to prevent that call from even being that important or to to rebound from that call. But with the time that was left, as egregious as it was, and as big a play as that was, that's that's a little bit different than your average yeah. blown call that a team can just get over. Also worth noting, too, that in these games where it's you know they're mostly going to be close games, it's the four best teams in the NFL, and they're, they were all neck and neck throughout the regular season, and Rams and Saints from about week three was a foregone conclusion for this game. And you know it's going to be offense and close. And then you say, hey, uh, we're going to drop a Mazel Tov cocktail in here. You're not going to know which team, but there's going to be an egregious blown <laughs> call. You would say, well, probably not going to rip the team that was on the bad end of that too much for not overcoming it because we knew it was going to be a close game. And if some unforeseen thing pops up that was that bad, right. it's going to be really hard for the other team to overcome it. Right. But I think now it's about... Is it too knee-jerk to call for solutions? Is there a solution to this that the NFL should legitimately explore? When the Vikings got beat in dramatic fashion 10 years ago, 9 years ago, immediately the NFL went and changed rules and protected quarterbacks. So what will be the fallout? Mackie and Judd with Rami. And this 57-yard try would be a Rams postseason record if it's good and would send Los Angeles to Super Bowl 53. The kick is good. Rams win it. Legatron. Is it Legatron or Greg the Leg? Sounds like they're calling him Greg the Leg now. He was Legatron when he came in. Was he Legatron? Pretty sure. I thought Legatron was that uh, large rugby player who the the Lions brought in for a a stint during camp a couple years ago. I thought he was Legatron. I've lost track of my numbers. I'm fairly positive Greg Zerline was Legatron. Legatron, Okay. When when you have two awesome nicknames yeah. as a kicker and you're that clutch Lucky. from 57 yards, but what do you guys? What, 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 okay, is it is it knee jerk to say well because this thing this blown call happened we now need to look for solutions? So that's part one of the question, and part two is what would your solutions be to prevent blown egregious late game pass interference calls like the one we saw in the NFC Championship? Game? Replay everything. Everything should be up for replay. Whether it's a penalty, a judgment call, incomplete pass, complete pass, the stepping out, everything should be up for, for, for review. With challenges or what? Yeah. How do you do it? With challenges. How much time was left when that call was blown? Was it under two or over two? Would it have been within the you have to challenge window? or Because I here's where I agree with Rami. If... If it's still that I get three challenges as a coach, and I would ju- I would get rid of the, like, well, if you get the first two right, you get the third. No, you get right. three challenges, period. Okay. You get three challenges, so six possible challenges until the two-minute window. But that's where it gets complicated. So if I, wa- if I want to throw a challenge flag on a pass interference call that I perceive to be true mm-hmm. with five minutes left, mm-hmm. all they're doing is they just get to slow down what's already a subjective call anyway. They just don't have to make it at full speed. They get to slow it down and then make the same subjective opinionated call. 
The question is, how ticky-tack do you get inside the two-minute window? 149 left, by the way, So to the, answer your question. So the league would have had to have... That would be from upstairs. Radioed in, right? Down, yes. But yes. then are you, like, literally going to the review booth inside two minutes on anything? Here, see, here, well, that might have been holding. We better look at that yeah, play again. Here's where the conversation has to start. That can't happen because it was so egregious. Like, I think that's where the cut, right. because, because if we start talking about, well, that might've been, and it might not have been, then we're, we're going to be bogged down in, should you be able to go back and look at that? But if you're the league today, this is extremely embarrassing. Like this wasn't a close miss. This was an egregious mistake and miss and terrible. So I think where the conversation about the rule and replay has to start is, is not, you know, oh my gosh, all these ticky tack calls might have to be examined now on replay. I think where the conversation has to start is this. This can't happen. I mean, we need to find a way. There needs to be a way to correct that quickly. And and a replay on that egregious of miss could have been corrected within five seconds. Because both excuses that we heard of why the call was blown so badly. One, Roby Coleman said he was told by the sideline official right after he popped up and he himself was looking for a flag on himself, was told by the referee it was tipped. And the explanation that Sean Payton got, and I don't know why two guys are getting two different explanations from the same officiating crew, that rubs me the wrong way, but the explanation Sean Payton got was that defender, receiver, and the ball all arrived simultaneously. And then the third explanation was, like, time is a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get I gotta back be, to the hotel. I gotta be somewhere, yeah. yeah. But, if, but if either of those things was what the referees thought on the field, those two things are very easily to determine with, with, with instant replay and with the challenge. You could, no matter what the referees thought, whether it was tip or that they all arrived at the same time, yep. both could have been easily proven wrong with, with the instant replay. Here's my question. That was such a bad miss, and it wasn't one, it was two. Why couldn't the officials have gotten together and been like, what did you see? Somebody would have said, helmet to helmet, right? Mm-hmm. And right there, that play's dead then. I don't understand why why you couldn't have had them get together in a group and say, we can't go to replay, but something clearly took place here. We know that. And it was two things. And somebody on that crew is going to say, the defender's helmet flew into the the um, intended target's head. Mm-hmm. That's a 15-yard penalty first down Saints. It's dead. I don't understand why you can't get there, at least. I, I really think we're headed toward the Rami solution here, and it's been the Bill Belichick solution. He's been bringing this up at league meetings every offseason for 10 years, just open up everything for challenges. I think that's going to be step one here. The question is, how do you fill in for those last two minutes? Because if I'm Sean Payton and I know that anything is reviewable and now inside two minutes, the way that it's always been since they brought replay back, it's up to the upstairs official to, you know, to send a, is it a pager? They, they buzz? They buzz them. They buzz them? They buzz them. So it's like a taser on your hip or something? The referee gets buzzed. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever the mechanism like he's is. he's at a restaurant. But could Table's you, ready. you know, but where do you draw that line is I think the question that the NFL, and I would say, I don't know, figure it out, but Okay. That play looked inconspicuous, but the left guard had a full grasp of of Donovan Sue's jersey. Let's say okay, and I saw it as the head coach. Are we really going to go how far down the road of everything is reviewable? Because outside of two minutes, it's easy. Well, I have to decide as a coach if I want to waste a challenge on this or not, and if I burn all three challenges in the first quarter because I saw three holding calls and I'm out of challenges the rest have, of the game. Can you have three challenges um, within the entire structure of the game, but then an extra one in the last two? And then you get to play it whenever you and want? You can, and you can use that challenge, one challenge, within the last two minutes of, of a game or each half, otherwise, or at least of the game. Otherwise, if, if, if officials are going to review something from above, it's got to be... The standard stuff, but right? I think the com- bounds, out of bounds. But I really believe the conversation here has to start with we can't allow this again. Get the call right. Yes, we field. have to get that right. Right. Like, yes. how do we not end up looking on Monday like blithering idiots? I think that's the start. Well, the NFL. Here's the best part too. The NFL, even though it, it, you feel black eye, embarrassing, the NFL isn't going to feel this at all. The this is the NFL. The ratings. Through the roof, I'm sure. But it's embarrassing for, for your, your officials. I mean, that's it's pretty bad. Sure, but okay. 
My dog could have gotten that the call. NFL will, Your dog the NFL that will call. bounce back from it regardless. Well, sure they sure, but I mean, how do you how do you make it so that people today are talking about, oh my God, these two games were fantastic? Is that not the lead though? Because I think that is the lead. Yeah, it was. It was a great Sunday of football. Okay, but if that's one A, one B is the Rams Saints call. I'm just trying to think of a way to get around the fact that these guys didn't just sort of miss; they completely whiffed. Yeah, the NFL, the NFL needs things defined as as evidenced by the catch rule. I mean, it's not it. If if the NFL wanted to, they could say to the officials, they could literally say, "We're scrapping all of these catch rules, and you just have to decide on your own." We're empowering you to decide Phil, on your own. They did in the Super Bowl last year. Well, I mean, officially, they could say, no, "But I mean, they, they make up the rules." They could say a catch is whatever you think it catches, <laughs> and it's and it's whatever that guy says is a catch. That guy in the zebra shirt, that's on him. But the NFL wants. That's why the rule book is so thick. They want everything strictly defined, and they want everything to have parameters. So therefore. Okay, I challenge that that was a hold. I thought that was a hold. See, I think Let's slow it down. All right. Well. Okay, I may I may have overstepped when I said everything should be challengeable. Oh, on on ball penalties, on ball penalties should be challengeable because you're right. If if you opened everything up to review and challenge, you can call holding on every play, and you can be damn sure that in the most crucial of situations, a coach will throw that red flag. Just on the off chance that a referee sees holding mm-hmm. on a replay, e- even if he didn't see it himself, and even if he, even if he doesn't know that there was holding on that play, he knows it probably I'm, happened, and the team just got a game clinching first down. Let me throw that red I flag. I love your term. I love that term. On ball play. On ball play. Yes, that's it. Yes. Wait, say that. Say that term again. On ball play. One more time. On ball <laughs> play. Football. Football. That's it. No, you just got it. That gets us around a guy just throwing the flag and being like, find something here. Right. But can you challenge? It has to be the. So you can't challenge on an on ball play because there's. Let's call it kind of an on ball play is like. It has to be the two guys that are on the ball. That's what you're saying. Or right? like in yesterday's case, if the referee did think the ball was tipped and that's why he didn't call pass interference, it's a free for all. Once the mm-hmm. ball's tipped. Colt, Roby Coleman, he's allowed to hit the receiver. Yep. So you can go back and review whether or not that ball was tipped. Yeah. If the, if that's indeed case, what the referee saw. Case in point: if the ball, if if on that play across the field, the Saints player is held, that can't be reviewed in your world. So but the play, the, but the play where it was broken up is on ball. So if right. the left tackle has taken his cleat off and is like cutting the opposing player, <laughs> then you call the police, open, not the officials. You can't review it because it's not on the ball. The only thing you can review is the receiver and the cornerback. Well, I've always thought it's odd that you're asking these officials. The players are faster than they've ever been before. There's more high-definition cameras and TVs than there's ever been before. There's more people just watching football in general. So there's just more of a spotlight on these plays, and it's harder to make the calls because of the speed of the game. And you're still asking these guys full speed, human beings with human eyes to to make calls at full speed that are perfect. And I've always wondered, why don't you allow them a little bit of a safety net to maybe go back and look? It's the same thing. You're just trying to decide subjectively if there was too much contact there or not, and if it was too early or not. But now you get to slow it down and make a judgment call. Yeah, you're just adding an official to the crew who has the benefit of replay and slow-mo. That's all. I don't think that discredits or, or, or disgraces the guys on the field or embarrasses them. We all know they're going to miss calls because it's a very fast-moving game. It helps them. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, a very well-named fellow in Lakeville named Phil. What's going on? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, good. Well, where to start? Um, you know, I'm not sure that the NFL is really upset or embarrassed about all this thing because what they really want are eyeballs. And when any time there are people talking about this kind of thing, I think it helps them. I don't think they get too worked up about it, right? Um, the only people who are unhappy about this whole thing are probably people in Louisiana right now, and that's about it. But um, but that's that's one thing. The other thing that I find kind of nuts is that is that unless they're, I mean, you, you were just you were hitting on it, but I think you sort of missed the the critical linkage here, which is there are eight to ten, sixteen HD cameras focused on this play, and we're going to defer to a, an old guy running down the thing who's moving, trying to watch this thing happen, when in fact. There, there's probably a better look than he will ever have 
but they're still going to go with this this human this fallible process. Why don't they? You know, I think what you said is that the the ref needs a safety net where he can say, "Look, I'm going to relinquish my right to make a call, and you guys take your best guess at it, rather than this this indisputable video evidence." Because that's essentially what the guy's doing. He's making a a admittedly flawed but best judgment call on that thing. Why wouldn't you want to do that with eight other views, right? So that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to point out here is that the genesis, I think, of all of this is really about what they want at the end of the games, which is, is I mean, not that I, lo- I hate soccer, but when a team's up 4 nothing, that game is over, right? The NFL gives teams these opportunities. If you're within two touchdowns, maybe even three in the fourth quarter, you can make that up because the rules allow for it. They change the, cl- the way the clock is managed, right, at the end of the game. Um, they, they have the timeouts and these artificial ways to stop the clock. I, I mean, and then what happens is they put these, these, these admittedly flawed uh, officials in the middle of this cauldron and ask them to make flawless calls. And yeah. I, I just think this is exactly what they've asked for. Yeah, th- uh, Phil in Lakeville, thanks for the call. And I, he's wrong. I would argue that at 2 nothing the soccer game is over, Jonathan. Soccer's still boring. Nothing, Soccer's still boring across the board, right? All wrong. You put a guy on the air that, that came wrong. on the station and said, "I hate soccer." What are well, you doing? You tell me that. Well, you might want to scream for that next time. I Do you like soccer? No, bang. Not going to Mark in St. Louis, you better not hate soccer, otherwise you're getting dropped right away. But he brought up something that I've I've often wondered about. Why? And I don't want to be accused of ageism or age discrimination or anything oh, here. Go ahead. I'm but old. why are referees across across the board in sports? Why are they always Older dudes, like, like your job as a referee is to get in position and see things clearly. And look, we all get there. Um, as you get older, it gets harder to be in position and see things clearly and have reaction time. Just look at traffic accidents all over our roads. I don't, I don't understand why referees aren't younger in sports across the board. Guys who can run to the spot faster, see things clearly, and react more quickly. It is hilarious. Like, you never see a 28-year-old ref, right? <laughs> right, you know, yeah. He's 67 years old. Joe West is doing a great job in baseball, okay? <laughs> this holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.